everyone and welcome to the latest BRFCS podcast. We've got a lot to get through and tonight we've got an extra special overseas guest to give us a different perspective on all things Blackburn Rovers. Yes, a very warm welcome back to this latest BRFCS podcast. We're recording after Halloween, so whether this episode is a trick or a treat, I'll leave for you to decide. And of course, whilst last night's fireworks displays have left a telltale whiff of sulphur in the air, we will be looking forward to some potential footballing fireworks over the next few weeks. Your panel is raring to go, and just like Harry Chapman coming off the bench in the 70th minute, it's time to get ready for action. So, on to tonight's episode. We have a returning hero tonight, fresh from missing a recording session of a previous podcast, by dint of being in Sainsbury's when he should have been on the line. Yes, it's <laughs> Sheffield's finest distance runner, well, since Sepco up sticks and left these parts, Mike Dilap is in the house. Mike, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me back. I'd like to point out that other, other supermarkets are available at this time. Well, it's good to know that there's more than one with 24-hour service, just in case you want to, to skip. But what a joy and a privilege it is to have you back. The prodigal son. Thank you. Also on the panel tonight, it's our very own centrist dad. He's never overcoached and always gets the basics right. You'll have to read his blogs at Marple Leaf to get those references. It is, of course, the Marple Leaf himself, Michael Taylor. Good evening, Michael. Yeah, good evening, Ian. Great to have you back Good evening, on. everybody else. Tonight we have a Mike and a Michael, so if that doesn't cause utter confusion, I don't know what can. And tonight we also have a special overseas guest, hopefully the first of many overseas guests that we'd like to get on the pod. And joining us live from Croatia tonight, it's our very own Zagreb Dynamo. Yeah, that's a great joke, isn't it? Philip Tomlinson. <laughs> Phil, are you there? Yeah, thank you. Haven't been called Dynamo for a long time, or ever actually, <laughs> but thanks for that welcome, yeah, uh, even though I'm, I'm supposed to be a high duck split fan, so yeah. <laughs> okay, I should have done a joke about needing to get out of here quickly, so let's split, but there we go. Right, that's your panel for part one, in which we'll review all the games played since we last convened. In part two, we'll take the opportunity to cross-examine Phil a little bit more about his Rovers heritage, asking about the joys and challenges of following Rovers from afar, and life in Croatia, and much, much more. In part three, we'll look ahead to the upcoming fixtures and discuss some of the Rovers-related issues that have been in the news lately. So that's our running order. Let's get on with the show. So since we last convened, we've played a number of games, and the first one that we're going to talk about is uh, that extraordinary performance at Oldham Athletic. Um, woeful, weary, weak. Why were Rovers so underwhelming? Michael, would you like to kick us off, please? Yeah, it was. It was massively disappointing, more so for the fact that the best player on the pitch was somebody who never got a sniff when he was on the books at Blackburn Rovers. We had Jack Byrne on loan from Man City. And um, we never really saw much of him. I saw him in a cup tie away at Mansfield and I thought, hey, this lad looks good. And the next time I see him, he's playing for Oldham Athletic against us and he ran the midfield. He taught Richie Smallwood how to do a bit of muscle in midfield and he also taught Peter Whittingham how to pass. And I thought it was quite embarrassing. 
Um, you know, it could all have been so different if Elliot Bennett hadn't missed an open goal in the first half. But ultimately, it was a really, really limp and insipid display, and um, I went home thoroughly depressed. Yeah, you're not the only one. It was, it was uh, distinctly underwhelming, I have to say. What did it look like from Croatia then, Phil? Mm, um, yeah, I mean, the, the performance sort of typifies how Tony Mowbray comes across in his interviews, really. Um, it's a bit insipid. Um, we had a couple of good chances to go ahead in the first half. Um, Bennett, uh, as, as Mike's already said, he <laughs> inexplicably just booted it, I think, barely into the side netting from almost point-blank range. Um, Whittingham hit the bar. I don't know if anybody recalls that incident. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, Raya looked solid. I mean, I think the only thing he really had to do was, you know, pick uh, pick the ball out of the back of the net, um, aside from a, a couple of good saves after that. But what a, you know, what a disappointing result. Um, you know, we take how many fans... 3,000, is it? 2,500, something like that. And, um, you know, it's just typical that that we pull out of an insipid performance like that. So, yeah, very is disappointing, perhaps the most disappointing out of the uh, the lot of results that we've we've had. I don't did you did you see the Doncaster home game? No, um. That, that, that was an absolute um, rip snorter in terms was, of setting <laughs> setting a new low well, benchmark. Yeah. I actually mean since uh, you know since the podcast convened, oh, I see. Right. just looking down that <laughs> list of results, including this one, um, which we'll talk about soon. It's perhaps the most disappointing, but no, unfortunately, the Doncaster one. Or fortunately, um, I was suffering some of these I follow issues that I think uh, if you look in the I follow thread on uh, on the forum, you'll you'll see that most people seem to have suffered them. So I missed it. But never mind. I don't think I missed much. You by did the sound not of miss it. much. Uh, Mike, uh, fans' reaction at the end, justified mm. or are we being a bit precious when, when we lose a game? It depends on your definition of precious, I guess. I mean, it's hard not to be disappointed, really. I know, it, you know, I don't want to sound like, you know, the, the stereotypical entitled football fan, but the thought a few years ago of losing to Oldham in a competitive football match would have been hard to take. And, you know, I... I get it. It wasn't a very, very good performance. The only thing I would say about it is uh, I saw a lot of people saying that's the worst performance I've seen, you know, since Venkis took over and stuff like that, which in my mind is nonsense. I could name you quite a few that I've witnessed, you know, that, that were, were far worse than it. It wasn't great. And, you know, it, as with a lot of our performances that, you know, haven't yielded victories, they seem to be typified by this. So almost like we're a little bit cagey, you know, we're almost a bit unconfident, you know, or not confident in our ability to impose ourselves on games. And it almost lets the opposition grow in confidence themselves, like which we saw against Oldham. And yeah, I think a lot of the vitriol spewed was a bit over the top, but you're always going to get that. It's football. It's, you know, it's supposed to be, it's a passion for a lot of people and quite rightly so. So you are going to get a lot of over the, over the top guff. I get a lot of it where I go over the top the other way, but um, you know, I don't think it was justified. Some of the the, the bile and you know the, the the gross negative reaction to it. It was disappointing, but we can move on. There's 46 games in the season, and yes, if we're as rubbish in that as we are in other games, we're going to not be very good. But yeah, yeah. you know, plenty more fish in the sea. 
I think I was surprised that you, you used the word vitriol. I think that's what surprised me. Mm. Um, and, mm. and in terms of that's the wor- worst performance under Venkis, it's not the worst performance this season. No. Mm. Ian, if I could come in at this point, it's uh, this is Michael as opposed to Mike with a similar <laughs> accent. Um, I, I, I blogged on this straight afterwards because I, I felt that the it, it displayed a remarkable lack of resilience amongst our own fans that they completely mm. did something I talk about in a child-rearing context. They catastrophized it. And it is completely over the top to say that. And it wasn't that the players on the pitch were not fit to wear the shirt. Frankly, we're in the we're in the third division for a reason. And I think a lot of Rovers fans aren't fit to wear the scarf, if I could put it like that. They have to get used to it. Teams like Oldham aren't going to roll over and just let us tickle their tummies and stick three past them. It's not going to happen every week. There's a lot at stake for these clubs as well, with a manager who wants to he desperately wanted to get the job. And yeah, it was a lesson for us. But our fans need to um I think we need we need to grow up a little bit. Mm, I think I'll I'll have you on this one as well. I'm glad you mentioned about uh, it was you rather than me. But yeah, um, the the thing I would say is that I and I found it every single time that we concede the first goal, it's almost a bit of a you know it's like that attitude that Michael's saying. You know, as soon as we go a goal down, no one no one seems to sort of think, oh well, that was disappointing. But let's get back on the horse. Let's get back at him and try and get a goal back straight away. It's almost like a an acceptance of, oh, look how rubbish we've become. You know, yeah. uh, how how dreadful are we? Oh, look how bad it's been the last few years. It's like, yeah, you know, we've all had it tough. We've all been in the same boat. We've all been hurt by the same things that Venky's running our football club has has done to us. But the, um, amazingly, there's a, a few of us around who seem to still be able to show some form of resilience. And it's almost mind-boggling that, you know... Every time you, every time we concede a goal, it's just like a, you know, almost like a surrender, so yeah. to speak. That you know, yeah. that's it for the day. Never mind, you know, off to the pub to drink and console ourselves. Yeah, I think yeah. That, uh, the pre-season there was an awful lot of, well, in my opinion, wildly optimistic. I mean, there are some people on podcasts who reckon we're going to finish second this year, for example, you know, <laughs> with, with little or no justification. Actually, um, <laughs> no names. But to, to, yeah, to talk about. I think I think we've we've already had I think at least three you're not fit to wear the shirt games this season, and I think mm. in the pre- previous thirty odd forty years that I've supported Rovers, yeah, you know, there, there's probably three in the rest of the time that was I can remember I can recall one under Kid I can recall one under Hodgson, um, so I think I think we're peaking too soon in the trauma mistakes, especially given that we are six mm. in the table. But we'll come onto that a little bit later on. So having covered ourselves in. Um, or not glory, that's for certain, whatever the opposite of glory is, that is decent on a podcast. The next, we had an opportunity to recover home in midweek against Plymouth Argyle. So there we are at home to the then bottom of the league. Chance to bounce back, not taken. Um, Phil, how, how did this one look from Croatia? Uh, mixed, really. I mean, you know, we did create chances, but... You know, you just look at the result, Plymouth uh, Rovers won, Plymouth won. And um, I'm actually just sat here with my head in my hands, really, <laughs> reflecting on that. Um, I mean, first off, it was an absolute beautiful goal by Plymouth. Wasn't it? Um, just? It, was, it was stunning, yeah. Uh, outside the box, Raya dived, no chance, top corner, really, really nice goal. Um, Dak, you know, he, he's... 
I think in every match I've seen him, he's always worked hard. Um, he, you know, he does make mistakes, but he puts himself about a lot and he creates a lot. Um, and um, he rescues us basically in the first half. Uh, so yeah, he nearly got a second as well. Um, and then we, you know, we had a couple of further chances from that. Cadiz um, had a. He, he he was basically three in the box from I think it was a corner was it or was it a cross in the box I can't quite recall, um, but he should have just buried that um, and that would have seen us win the match pretty much, um, but he didn't he just sort of scuffed it and it trickles wide, um, and We're all Williams trying to Ben Gladwin as well aren't we? <laughs> yeah, well I'm getting to him, later. <laughs> um, but yeah Williams had a, a header from corner just sits over the bar. Um, you know, I mean, it's not for the want of trying, um, but when we talk about trying, um, we talk about Ben Gladwin, and um, it's just appalling. <laughs> um, I just, you know, I watched the highlights again earlier just to refresh my memory, and um, why he doesn't put his foot through it, I, I don't know. You know, from from that distance out, just blast it, put your foot through it. What what are you doing trying to place it when there's you know a few defenders on the line? It was just reminiscent it of it's... the. Um... Chris Brown heyday, I think. Yeah. yeah. Michael, I can it's... sense you that you're desperate to come in. Really? Well, <laughs> you're absolutely right. The, th- the thing I took from the Plymouth game was how how static we are. How so often we you have a movement coming up, the ball being passed around the back so often. Mulgrew gets it, knocks it sideways, gives it to Nyambe, he knocks it back again, and the crowd are getting impatient. That's every and, match, though, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it is. <laughs> and at that game in particular, everybody just camped in the penalty area, and Plymouth's defence, their centre-half wouldn't have had an easier game all season. And he just thought, right, here we go again. And it was it became just muscle memory in the end to just get that ball hoofed away, headed away, uh, because we were static. And then, you know, we... The next, if you think about all the goals that we scored since, they've all been from fluid movement. You know, when Dak's on the move, when he does a darting run where he sends a defender one way, he's looking the other, knocking the ball around the box, someone running onto it, Chapman on a, on a bit of a burst and a run. We've had all all our movement has created great goals. And what do we do when we've got a team that are camped that have parked the bus in their penalty area? Everybody's static. We don't try and open them up. And that's got to come to tactics. What do they practice all day in training? Well, I think the Is thing it... that came out loud and clear to me with the Plymouth Argyle game was, and you've touched on it, it's that lack of direct running at the opposition, yeah. committing somebody to the challenge. And if I had a pound for every square pass in that game, <clears> frankly, <throat> I could retire. It was it was really quite dull. Anyhow, enough, <laughs> enough of Plymouth. That, that, that really depressed me. So on the Saturday then we had Portsmouth in... Conditions which could best be described as monsoon. Um, <laughs> in fact, I was worried that it was going to be abandoned without the 90 minutes having been played. Yeah, uh, Mike, what, what, what was your take mm. on the Portsmouth game? It was much better, wasn't it? Let's face it, the, the result speaks volumes. I think the one thing that we took from that, obviously, was it was the, a rare, uh, or in fact, if I'm not mistaken, the only time that Harry Chapman's actually started a game. I thought he just, I thought it was just like a penalty corner taker from hockey where he just brought him on when he needed him but um he you know there's a lot of argument about does he start does he come off the bench I, I, I must admit I Tony Mowbray must see this guy well he sees this guy every day and we don't 
uh, and he seems to think he's better off the bench. But I must admit, when I saw him start that game and saw him alongside Dak, we instantly had two players. And I know Michael's mentioned about fluid movement. They want to get on it and they want to push forwards and they want to hurt teams. And I know Ian took me to task for this on, on Twitter about saying it's almost like we're trying to do something that they don't want us to. You know, with both of them on there, they they look worried, Portsmouth, and they looked, mm. you know, un, I think Portsmouth would have attacked more against other teams than they did against us that day because they were scared of the fact that those two were on there and could mm. hurt them. Um, and it showed, you know, they, 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 they both wanted that. And it actually is a game that suited Danny Graham as well because as, as immobile as he is, he, he didn't have to be sprinting all over the place because he had them two busybodies behind him mm. doing all the work and... You know, it could have been more than three rather than, you know, it wasn't an unfair reflection on the game. No. We played well and we almost had a bit of a, I've, I've paid a bit more, obviously everyone's paid a bit more attention to watching Shrewsbury uh, this season and how well they're doing. It was the one game that reminded me a little bit of them. Every time we got the ball, we sort of said, right, who's in a good position? Who's going to hurt them most? And mm. yeah, you know, it was, it was, it was very good and it's shame it's not reared its head a bit more often as well. Was I the only one who, when Danny Graham got the ball, was screaming, one more, one more, knock it away? Oh, oh yeah, OK, I'll take that. <laughs> because I think he Possibly. got at least one, if not two people overlapping, which is probably what created mm. the space for the shot. Uh, and yeah. I just thought, he, there's no way he's going to put that. Oh, yes. Oh, right. OK, yeah. nice one, Dan. Nice one. Um, and to be fair, also, would be remiss not to mention the, the terrific sight of that steward bundling himself over the advertising <laughs> board as well. Brilliant. That was, that was glorious, yes. That was absolutely yeah. glorious. So, Ma- Ma- was, uh, sorry, Michael, were, were you there? Yeah, of course I was, yeah. So, um, t- tell me uh, what happened with Samuel sending off, because those watching on TV... Uh, the wouldn't the have seen it. Yeah. Missed it. Yeah, so they were chasing a ball. It was... Um, it, I can't remember his name. He's a tall centre-half for Portsmouth who uh, was a university student. Um... Um, so he's, he's, he's had a profile on him in the Guardian, obviously. Um, <laughs> he was chasing a ball. It was a little bit of shoulder barging and all the rest of it. He, he sort of put his body in the way, pushed Samuel away from the chasing ball, and Samuel basically kicked him up the arse. Was it Andy Todd-esque? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. It, and it was the best sending off since um, since Andy Todd kicked Christoph Dugary up the arse. That's still one of my favourite. Against Birmingham City. Movies. Yeah, I just absolutely. It's, it's the Father Ted sketch, isn't it? The yeah. Bishop Brennan at the arse. It's yeah, just, he, he, yeah. He just he had to walk. And so we're not appealing clown. the red card, then I take it. No, absolutely <laughs> no, idiot, absolute idiot. Splendid. His uh, his his reaction said it all. I'm not sure why everyone was up in arms. I didn't see the incident, but uh, you know, not very clearly, but. Uh, he, yeah, the, his reaction just spoke volumes. He was like, you know, like a resigned man heading off to prison for 25 Half, years. Halfway down the tunnel before the referee yeah. pulled the card out. Yeah. Pretty much. I did love the third mm. goal as well. I thought Craig Conway there was, it was just like an enthusiastic yeah, goal retriever chasing a stick in the park. I thought that was <laughs> absolutely wonderful. But my, my concern in the last five minutes was not Portsmouth or Rovers, it was the weather. So I think yeah. it was really good to get those, uh, get those three points. So well, 25, 25 miles west, uh, Fylde got their game called off in yeah. the conference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'd have, you'd have nailed on that we lost the uh, replayed match 2-0 as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goes without saying. Absolutely. <laughs> so then, having had um, an encounter with Plymouth at the bottom of the table, sandwiched in between Portsmouth, who then played a team up at the top of the table in our nearest and dearest Wigan Athletic. So the key question coming out of that game is, did he dive? What did it look yeah, like yeah. on TV then, um, Phil? 
Um, at first, you know, when I watched it, I thought that was a blatant free kick. You know what it's like these days with players, you know, playing for the free kick. Um, but it, it actually did look like he took him out. Um, but uh, having watched it a few times again and again, the way that Bennett falls over, um, I don't think the player touches him. So whether you call it a dive or whether you call it, you know, going for the free action. kick, I don't know. Yeah, evasive action. Um, this, it's just semantics, isn't it? Um, and this is just all down to how, you know, the refereeing goes. Um, you know, you see players are just encouraged to take the dive and play for the free kick or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, nine times out of ten, that probably would have been given as a free kick because Bennett would have just got clattered. You know, and what's you know, what are your options? You either you either get clattered and risk injury, or or do you get out of the way and play for the free kick? Yeah. Um, you know, it was a reckless sliding challenge, I thought anyway. Um, but um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yellow card. I don't know. It, it's one of those where you know, by the book, it is it is kind of a dive, and um, you know, it's a yellow card, but. What what do these what are these players supposed to do in this culture of playing for the free kick? Um, it's it's a really difficult one, um, but I mean, we, I suppose we should come back to his first yellow because it was that was a reckless challenge in itself, yes. and it's um, yeah, it was an idiotic it, one, an unnecessary. Yeah, one. and it, it's a yellow card all day long. That one, um, it was you know really late on that left back, and it was just unnecessary. Uh, whether it, Bennett just wants players to know that he's around and stuff, I don't know. But um, yeah, if you if you're gonna do that sort of thing, you know, play for free kicks later on in the match, then you're always prone to another yellow and a, and then a red. So um, yeah, it, it's I don't know. It's I suppose inconclusive, really. It's it's one of those grey areas in refereeing for me. Um, but yeah, if we if we're going to ask the question, did he dive? I would have to say that he did. So Michael, that's my was, take on it. What was the view in the ground? Well, my view from the corporate seats in the main stand at Wigan um, was, um, and from the Wigan fans around me, was it was entirely inconclusive. And it's only through looking at it endlessly on different clips back and forth that I've come to the conclusion it's still inconclusive. And I, I can't, how can the referee know what's going on in a player's mind when you've got a, a centre half built like Yap Stam sliding towards him? You jump out of the way. He doesn't say, ref, give me a free kick. He just goes down. And he doesn't particularly gain an advantage from doing it in that position. It's not like it was in the penalty area. I think it was a, a brave decision by the referee, yeah, as, as he might have said as, might have said on Yes Minister. Um, but um, I, I can't for the life of me, having watched it as many times as I have, believe that the referee was in a better position to... Um, to give the decision he did. Talk um, us through the uh, Brian and Michael style halftime entertainment then. What yeah. Was the, what well, was they, the view they, like from the corporate seats for that? Well, they, they, no, they were, in, they were in our lounge beforehand as well. And um, um, Kid 3, who was with me, to, to give him his proper name, turned to me and said, uh, it's Phoenix Knights. And they were, it was that... Um, Send that band from my favourite episode of Phoenix Nights. I thought I'd accidentally logged in on Burnley's iPhone when I when I came back to the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was um, yeah the half a shilling 
doing there and i won't i won't sing the song because it's because no. it's racist but um <laughs> also but probably yeah. ju- subject to heavy copyright and i don't yeah. think the pod can afford that uh, that level of uh, that level of fee <clears throat> so mike, mike would you have taken nil nil hmm. at three o'clock i'd have taken it on the hour mark yeah sure absolutely uh i think just coming back to the um <clears throat> the diving thing though I'll, I'll quickly have a go at that one um I, I know, yeah, you can argue all day long whether it was a dive or not, but how many of those do you see where the referee doesn't give a card out? It seems a very strange sort of one to sort of draw a line under and say, yes, that was a definite dive. Here, have a yellow card. And I know it, you know, semantics, I get it, but in in today's game, you see hundreds of little random dives and throwing themselves on the floor that go unpunished. So it seems very strange that that was flagged up as being a particularly severe offence for a yellow card. Yeah. Um, mm. And, yeah, I mean, the nil-nil at Wigan thing, the only thing I would say with it, in essence, yes, if you look at it standalone, it's a good point. But given our ambitions this season, what I would say is that it was perhaps a chance, given the decent start we made in the game, to look to make ground on a team that are quite significantly in front of us. Yeah. Um, I would have taken an opportunity missed. Yeah, it's perhaps an opportunity missed that we... You know, we we might live to regret. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think to what you said, I certainly would have taken a point after an hour. But I mm-hmm. think there's been a number of those opportunities this season to to lay a marker down on the division. Shrewsbury yeah. away being another one of those, and it seems yeah. each time we fail the audition. Except Bradford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Rotherham. Yeah. That was at home, there, wasn't it? So I don't know. I, I kind of I'm still one of those old-fashioned notions about I still expect us to win at home. <laughs> We're playing. No, no, good grief. No, that's a bonus. <laughs> but there we go. So, um, Fleetwood Town then. The old joke about the lousy dog walker who keeps losing leads. Um, what the hell went on there? Michael, what was your perspective of the, the Fleetwood game? Yeah, this to me summed up Tony Mowbray in um, in one game. All the pre-match build-up on Radio Lancashire on the way to the ground was all about, oh, Fleetwood, they play with three centre-halves. And it's all about how they play. Hold on a minute. We're at home. We're above them in the league. We're expected to win this. I'm like Ian. I expect us to win all our home games, whoever we're playing. And suddenly it's like we're adapting to the way they play. And so often, not just Tony Mowbray, but under our previous managers as well, we seem to just slot into the way that the opposition want to play the game, whoever they are. Even if it's Manchester United in the FA Cup, we'll give them a game. We're good enough. We'll play. We'll play a, an, an open, fluid attacking game of football. And do you know what? We went on and took the lead. And against Fleetwood Town, we basically decided that they're going to dictate the way that this game's going to go by the fact that they play three really big guys at um, as three centre backs. And that's what you get. That's why we we only got a point from that game because the whole approach to it is wrong. Intriguingly, Mowbray, who having made a rod for his own back, and we talked about this on the last pod by saying he can't throw youngsters in, by dint of Samuel sending off another injuries, of course, what does he have to do? He has to throw a youngster in. And then Nuttall, I mean, it wasn't the most difficult chance he'll ever get in his career, but as per the Ben Gladwin conversation earlier, at mm. least he took it. He was in the yeah. right place at the right time. And he's, yeah, already no, got, he's already got more goals than Chris Brown did. Yeah, and, and just to come back to the point I was making about the Plymouth game, both the goals that we scored against Fleetwood came from fluid movement. And um, the, the way that you know, Graham took his chance, whacked it across the goal, and bang, there was Nuttall to tap it in with his head. Um, you know... 
that's what happens when we adapt our style of play. But Mowbray seems to just overcoach these teams to say, right, this is the opposition. This is what we're going to do. This is the plan. Stick to it. And it's exemplified when I look into the eyes of Ryan Nyambi when he's playing closest to us, who always just looks like he's looking over. What am I meant to do now? Yeah. Like he's a PlayStation player being controlled yeah. from the sidelines by someone's handset. Yeah. David Raya, who wants to come in on that, Phil? Yeah, I uh, I must admit, at the beginning of the season, um, we were talking about Connor Ripley coming in, I believe, from Oldham. <laughs> Um, and his record seemed to stand out very well. Um, did he have the most clean sheets in the league or he had a very good record and Oldham finished just above the drop zone? Yeah. So I don't know how that, how that works out. But, um, you know, I, I was all for, you know, bringing someone in because from what I'd seen of Raya previously, um, I just haven't been convinced at all. Um, but this season, he's, yeah, I, th- I have to say, he's been one of the standout players for us. Um, especially considering his age, um, what you need in the spine of a team, as well as a striker and a midfielder and a defender, is a, a goalkeeper. You know, if you think back to Brad Friedel, how many points he saved us, and I think Ryan's done, you know, a decent share of that this season. Um, he's he's pulled off some stunning saves. I have to say that his aerial ability is a bit questionable, and sometimes his his kicking is a bit. Um, you know, you can get your, your Casillas players in the world and they can do that sort of thing with a bit of confidence. When Raya does it and he pulls up, you know, he does a short pass which just misses the striker. And, I think you it know, was the, yeah. wasn't it the Gillingham game where he picked out their centre forward who was in the penalty area? And I think their centre yeah, forward yeah. was so surprised. He couldn't he's, do anything with it. He was just like yeah. utterly amazing. He's, uh, he got the ball. <laughs> he's, he's done one or two of those, but I think he's, he's a solid. How old is he? 22. And he's a solid mm-hmm. keeper, I think, for, especially for his age. I just hope that. I always think about this with, with keepers. When I think back to Jake Keane, um, he yeah. he was sort of, you know, up and coming. And um, I think the environment that he was put in, perhaps, you know, with Venkis owning the club and fans, you know, still perhaps being angry from the Keane era, which we still are. <laughs> um, but um, I think chucking him in at that, you know, at that stage where, you know, if you make the odd mistake, you're going to get, scapegoated because you're the only p- person there that the fans can scapegoat yeah. I just thought that that doesn't happen to Raya I don't think it will it's um, a high profile position playing in goal I think that, that's the issue uh, I just yeah. wonder what, what do you think the reaction would have been if that had been Jason Steele Mike well I was just believe it or not I was, I was, I've been itching to get in on this one guys come on uh, the, uh, the, think about it though place your minds back to like pre-season when we had Steele and Raya as sort of like the two goalies and you couldn't locate one person who thought Steele was worth keeping and they thought all thought Raya deserved a shot at being you know the Rovers number one in light of the fact that obviously we've been relegated as well and cost cutting looked likely um and I you know with with Jason Steele I think it, he he actually similar like you, you mentioned Jake Keane that's a terrific example I think he'd almost become a little bit confident shot because of his environment and he's moved to Sunderland where he's going to be confident shot because of his environment. Um, but he, you know, he, with, especially with Araya and stuff like that, I had some comments the other day after he, admittedly, yeah, he more or less chucked that ball in against Fleetwood, the second goal that came over from the corner. But, you know, someone said the other day, what's that now, three mistakes or something? It, 
you know, it, it, everybody's so quick to jump on mistakes and stuff like that. They seem to almost ignore the fact that, like Phil said, he's, he's been a perfectly decent goalkeeper. He, there's a few areas of his game I agree he should work on, but, you know, we've kept a, a fair batch of clean sheets. He's, he's not looked alarmingly bad or anything. In fact, I'd say, by and large, he's looked pretty confident. Um, and I, I think we should keep a run with him, basically. The difference with Steele, though, is, I mean, Steele's, um he's a bit older. And, you know, I, I don't really think it's a similar situation to, say, Keane or Raya. I think Steele was, mm. was just crap and he was realising it and the fans were realising it. And it's just a vicious, vicious circle that mm. <laughs> he's just I remember, gonna... I remember, I remember with Keane, uh, I think it was Hull away I went to and he pulled off. Uh, this was when Keane was sort of like the up and coming goalie and everyone rated him. He was, he pulled off an absolutely magnificent save. I fail to recall outside of that Brad Friedel double save against Arsenal, many better saves. And then fast forward six months and, you know, things had taken a turn for the worse. And I was hearing stories about him crying his eyes out because he'd, you know, chucked a wobbler in the last minute against Forrest at home. And it's just amazing how quickly things turn around in football as well. I think particularly in that position. Uh, It's it's a position that requires an awful lot of self-confidence. I I just think the, the comparison between Raya and Steele is their trajectories. When we signed Steele, a Middlesbrough sporting fan of mine texts me to say, hey, you've got a good one there. We've not looked after mm. him. We've bought a foreign keeper who's nowhere near as good. But I think we just gradually eroded his confidence. Raya, mm. I think, seems pretty resilient because I, I, he doesn't seem to let those mistakes build up on him. It's almost like, well, I've made it. There's nothing I can do about it. The only thing I can do now is stop the next one, which is a tremendous attitude to have. Um, he, I, to me, I just want a goalkeeping coach to be working on him on crosses, and mm. just really, really, really developing him and seeing if he can come along. But there, there is. We've yeah. talked about it on previous pods. There is undoubtedly potential there. So, of course, last Saturday we played Barnet in the FA Cup. Um, what do we think about that that performance, then, Michael? Yeah, um, Bradley Dat made a rare mistake in the first half, but my God, did he make up for it with his contribution to the two goals in the second half. And you know what? I, I warm to him the more I see Dak. Um, I, th- I think he's our absolute key player. And the more we, the, the more he gets the ball, the more he makes a contribution to the game, the more likely it is that we're going to win games. And that proved it at the weekend. Uh, Mr. Nuttall cup, notched again. And Nuttall as well. And these cup games are an opportunity for other players to come into the side and make a real impression and a mark on their um, on, on the manager. So he has to want want to pick them. Ben Gladwin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we? Sorry, just the thing on Dak. I'm not sure if you'd agree with me here, but given the type of player it is, that he is, is it not wise to expect the odd sort of dropped? I'm trying to think of a polite way to say this. Dropped testicle is that a thing? Yeah. Um, you know, in light of the fact that he wants things to happen and he's risk, he's willing to risk the risky pass to make things happen. You, it's wise to maybe expect the odd, you know, clangor here and there. As long as you've got a Richie Smallwood in there to tidy up, then that's fine by me. And, and we've missed that for a long, long time. You know, we, we've had Jason Lowe in there and uh, Evans, and there's no identity to them. And at least with Smallwood, well, I mean, by God, he gets forward as well, actually. And he, he's, he got a goal against Rochdale. But, you know, he, he tidies up at the back and that, that if that allows uh, Dak to do what he wants to do, let him do what he wants to do because he clearly can do it. Yeah. 
Okay, so that's the end of part one, and in part two, we'll be talking to Phil in a bit more detail about his life in Croatia. So uh, hang on in there. Right, everyone, yep. welcome back to part two. And in part two, we're going to uh, find out a little bit more about tonight's special guest, Phil Tomlinson. So, Phil, life over in Croatia must be fine and dandy, but how long have you been a Rovers fan and where did it all start? Oh, uh, well, it, uh, it started, well, all the way back when I was six years old. My dad used to take me to Aki Stanley. And um, I remember he said that I, was, I wasn't ready for Rovers yet because it was a bit rough. Um, <laughs> of course, I didn't really understand what that meant. Um, but, um, yeah, he used to take me to Stanley. But my dad's from Darwin originally, and um, so he grew up a Rovers fan. And uh, when I think when I was eight or nine, um, yeah, he took me down to Ewood. So we, um, we had a season ticket in the Riverside for the best part of 16 years, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I've been a fan since I was eight. Can you remember your first game? No, what's but I can remember Rovers memory. <laughs> Chris Sully. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Chris Sully. I remember uh, sitting in the Riverside stand. Um, uh, he uh, obviously he was a left back, um, but I think he was probably just drawn to that area before matches. You know, when they were tri- uh, doing the pre-match warm-up. And uh, I remember him coming up to the side and signing autographs. You know, who who wants Chris Sully's autograph? Me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I got his autograph. And, um, yeah, I, I, bizarrely, I think I said something like, um, I went back up to my dad and I said something like, oh, my God, Dad, they, these football players, they have faces. Because, you know, from a distance, you can't see that they have faces. And when you're eight years old, you don't really know what's going on in the world and if those people are real down there. So, Fantastic. yeah, that's I would say that's my first memory uh, as a Rovers fan. Who's your yeah. all-time favourite Rovers player? Berg. I think Berg. Why? Yeah. <sighs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's easy to say Shearer, you know, um, but... I like Berg because I, I think he was just um, is a nice, cool, steady player, quality player. And um, you know, there's a couple of players um, since then that that remind me of him, um, uh, who were just poor men's Bergs. Um, Andre Uya uh, for one. And um, I actually think I have a sneaky suspicion Paul Downing could possibly be another because he does have that sort of cool calmness about him but let's let's see how that one pans out well, of course he guaranteed clean sheets until uh, until last week so we'll, we'll yeah. see, see how that one yeah. unfolds so how how did you end up in croatia then what is it that you do over there and are, are you over there permanently or is it just a, a temporary arrangement oh no that's a very very complicated question um i'm over here because my girlfriend is croatian and so the um the situation just needed me to come here um, rather than her to come to the UK. Um, so, I, you know, the long-term goal is to stay here indefinitely. Um, whether I get booted out <laughs> because I was of Brexit say, yes, or, the, uh, who, who knows, who knows. Will your passport but, um, be as welcome in 2019 <laughs> as it is today? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it'll be OK. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens on that front. But, yes, um, so I... I'm I'm working over here 
Um, but I'm working for uh, my own UK company right. called Rover. Um, and I do web development. So it's it's an easy, it's one of those jobs where you, you can actually Remote work. For, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can work for anybody around the world um, without physically being there. And I think in some cases, some people would prefer you to physically not be there. <laughs> so it, work, it work, works out quite well. It's one of those Mrs. Merton type questions. What is it about the glorious climate, the wonderful scenery, the food, the friendly people, and the average temperature that makes you want to live in Croatia? <laughs> <laughs> so, who's your uh, who's your favourite local Croatian football team? Well, I I have to say I don't I don't really have one, but if I had to pick one, um, it would have to be High Duck Split, and that's how you say it, High Duck. I think if Not if you look at it, you Hadj Duck, yeah. <laughs> Um, but um, Nick Nico Kalinic, uh, he came from there originally. Um, I think there's perhaps a conception that he came from Dinamo Zagreb, but no, he, he came from Hyduck originally. Um, but that's not the reason. I kind of got collared into um, liking Hyduck split. So there's a, a fierce, fierce rivalry between yeah. Dinamo Zagreb and Hyduck split. Yeah. Um, some some of you might have seen the news article. I think Hyduck were in Everton recently they were yeah. uh, they played everton and there was yeah. some fan trouble there and, uh, I, yeah and i saw a uh, um a picture in uh, in the news the other day some high duck fan ran onto the pitch with a crowbar and threatened the goalkeeper so i can't say i have too much affinity with the you know with the football over here the enthusiastic but, uh, is it's one of those yeah national team um, you know, I'm definitely interested in them. I actually always have been. They've, they've been a class footballing nation since they were formed in, uh, is it 98 or it's perhaps earlier? Earlier. They've got the best yeah. kit in world football. Yeah. <laughs> Picnic blanket, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, I, I've always liked uh, the national team. Um, you know, you've got your Davosukas, your Modriches, your Biliches. Kalinic is, of course. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, it's, it's the national team I, I like to follow, really. What's the last live match that you saw then, Phil? Um, <laughs> does Fleetwood count on iFollow? Or do I have to... I mean, I mean in <laughs> the flesh, I was just interested whether you, be, you managed flesh. to be back to the UK or whether you'd seen one well, locally. Well, I, I actually came over... I haven't seen a match over here live, um, perhaps for aforementioned reasons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I the, the last match I will have seen, I think, because I, I didn't have a season ticket when Coyle was here. That wasn't anything to do with, you know, Coyle. It's because halfway through I knew I'd been moving away, right. uh, coming over to Croatia. So, um, still, a, still a good move there, Phil. Good work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm not sure I missed much, really. No, um, <laughs> But, yeah, um, oh, what would it have been? I think it was probably... It was possibly, um, I did see a match under Coyle. I cannot remember which one it was. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I don't think we won. Um, <laughs> the, I've no idea. Fredging from the memory bank. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think you remember it if you won. Yeah. <laughs> the, the last match I remember at Ewood, um, and I think this just typifies the situation we're in, I think it was the... Um, 4-1 win over Swansea in the FA Cup and that's that's the last memorable match I think I saw at Ewood um, so, mem- I- so memorable Phil that it was 3-1 I think if I remember <laughs> <laughs> 
wasn't it four? Well, um, yeah. Well, with all the you know, with the Stoke one, all the yeah, yeah. I like to I like to exaggerate a bit. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, are you planning to come back to the UK anytime soon? Yes, I was. I was going to come back at Christmas. Um, unfortunately, Monarch went bust, and so direct flights from Zagreb to Manchester are kaput. So it's um, it's about five times more expensive, and I, I would guess at Christmas probably ten times more yeah. expensive than uh, what we would have been paying. So um, I'm planning to come back perhaps early to mid next year, um, and I'll drag my girlfriend to a. Uh, football match by hook or crook uh, I'll, I'll be very selective I, I won't pick a home match because we don't win home matches um, so I'll take for the full full, uh, full local experience. experience possibly Fleetwood or something of something of that ilk well, we, have, we have um, a sort of a protocol of trying to get the pod squad together at away games for photographs so if you do do that let us know and we'll, yep. uh, yeah. we'll rendezvous in the ground so yeah. that, that's tremendous stuff, uh, and thanks once again for giving up your time and joining us tonight. It's, it's tremendous no to get that perspective from overseas. So uh, I think Mike, Mike Dillat might have a specific question for you, though. Yes, no, I'd like to find a way around this monarch situation and possibly ask, when are we all coming for a holiday? <laughs> <laughs> have you got 15 um, spare bedrooms for the, the, the pod squad? No, oh, I mean... Houses. I'm, I'm. I'm not making excuses here, but houses in Croatia are actually quite small, so there's no space for you. I'm afraid. Uh, Phil, it, Phil, it is warm. I can talk you into sleeping in the garden. It's fine. <laughs> uh, it's not warm now. It's it's about zero degrees here. Um, <laughs> it gets very, very, very cold in winter, but it's roasting in summer. Absolutely boiling. Um, that's, yeah, okay. Uh, that's, moving on. That's one of the many. <laughs> yes, <laughs> one of the many adaptations. Splendid. Well, thanks once again, Phil. It's a pleasure. So you'll hang around for part three? Yep. Excellent. Okay, that's all for part two then, and insight on our, our overseas star, Phil Tomlinson. Thanks once again, Phil. Thanks. Welcome back to part three. In this part of the podcast, we'll be uh, casting the net forward and looking at what's what's in the pipeline for uh, for Rovers. Tonight, some of you may have seen the FA Cup second round draw made at Chorley FC and clearly the patrons in the bar wanted Rovers at home, but they didn't get it. Rovers have drawn crew at home, uh, match penciled to be played in on the 3rd of December. I can't think that that would be particularly attractive for TV, so I would imagine that that would be the uh, the date that it's played. I think the last time I saw crew in an FA Cup tie, Ewood, they won 6-1. But I will say that they were playing Accrington Stanley that day. That was back in December 1992, but it seems like only yesterday. So we've got that um, that second round draw to look forward to. Hopefully we can get ourselves back into round three, which is uh, where we belong, of course. Other things happening in Rover's world in recent weeks. Uh, there's been some issues, and it was mentioned on the forum, about the, the family stand. Mike, what do you understand has, has gone on here, and what's the club's rationale? I... <laughs> I don't. I can't see where a, a logical one, shall we say? It's. Um, it seems a very strange decision, just more on the grounds that you know, a lot of people might turn up without their children on the grounds. They might be either doing something else, or they might be ill, or something like that. And you know, they're they're rolling up to the ground and being relocated, or something to that extent. It seems a very strange decision. Um, I suppose anything I'm thinking they might be doing is, you know, perhaps cutting out. Uh, 
I'm trying to think of a good way to explain this. Uh, I'll, I'll chuck Jimmy Savile's name in there or something Safeguarding, like that. I think, is the euphemism. But yeah. the, That's the, it. I'll have it. That's better than Jimmy Savile. Yeah, please. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. That was great. Um, the, the bit that but, I can't understand is if, you're, mm-hmm. if you've got a family area and a parent mm-hmm. or a, an adult, it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent, of course, mm-hmm. gets a, a children's season ticket, then those are your seats. Mm-hmm. So just because the child isn't with you, why, why would that necessarily increase the risk? If they are saying then mm. that some people have got children's season tickets but a child never turns up, mm. that, that, that seems quite an admission. Uh, and it seems yeah. to be a bit of a blunt, blunt insult. I know it's, there was a, an absolute fury, I think it was one Friday night on my Twitter feed, where people were sort of saying, this, mm. is, this is like outrageous, it's appalling, it's, it's monstrous. And it seems to have carried on. And the club has issued a statement which was a bit wishy-washy. <coughs> But, yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I'm thinking, though, Ian, is that it, it seems strange given that we're, we're essentially down to a core Rovers fan base now. If you still go into the games, you know, you, you're pretty sort of full-blooded about it all. You were a, you're a Rovers diehard, shall we say, and yeah. to sort of, you know, poke the bear and agitate a section of that for no particular reason seems a very strange and wayward decision. It's been very poorly yeah. handled, I thought, yeah. personally. And this, is, of course, is the population that have been moved because they closed the family stand in the in the Blackburn end. So having moved everyone, they're then sort of saying, um, well, if you turn up without a child, you'll have to sit somewhere else. And it, yeah, particularly midweek games, I just think that was... Uh, well, it's yet another PR own goal by Rovers, but I guess we shouldn't be massively surprised by that. Uh, something else that crossed um, crossed my desk, as it were, fans consultation forum. Uh, and I think we one of our panellists tonight is particularly keen to talk about this. So, Michael, I'll hand over to you at this point. Yeah, there was a, a, a fans consultation forum that the club ran and um, I didn't go because it's miles away. And um, But I do keep a keen interest in what the Rovers Trust do. I've been a long-standing supporter of the whole concept of football club ownership. I keep a cl- relatively close eye on what's going on at other clubs. I genuinely care when clubs fall into um, bad ownership. I'm happy tonight, by the way, that Blackpool's horrendous owners, the Oyston family, have been um, on the right end of a court ruling that they've got to pay a substantial money back to their other uh, 31 co- million, co-owner. Yeah. 31 so, million. with all that in mind, I support the concept and the setting up of a trust of Rovers supporters. My main concern is their priorities now seem to be all a squiff. They seem to be obsessed with harassing Mike Cheston for whatever reason they don't seem to like him um, and they're also obsessed with this other chap some Indian guy whether he's in the building or on the premises and it's nonsense it, it, it seems to have been taken a completely wrong turn and I think it's going to alienate a lot of reasonably minded Rovers supporters who want to support the concept of a trust, want to maintain a unified, sensible fan base that could in future be in a position to take a stake in the club. I want that to happen as much as anything. But I think the way they're going about it now with their tactics at forums such as this one is completely wrong. It does seem to me that that, well, uh, there's been a change in um, leadership, I think, isn't it? That's probably the right yeah, it word is, yeah. In the it trust. It, and now, I don't know, the trust just feels like it's lost its its identity a little, a little bit. Yeah, well, do you know what? As, as people may know, I was a 
Labour Party candidate in the 2015 general election. So, you know, elections that elect a new leadership to an organisation is completely <laughs> odds with my own values. Well, you know, I could talk about that all night if you want, chaps. But Okay, uh, right. Moving swiftly on on the agenda on that point. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. <laughs> uh, that's a great, a great insight. Just, um, think, oh, sorry, sorry, one mic. I was just, all I was thinking was, uh, it's interesting, uh, Michael talks about uh, Mike Cheston. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have a, a particularly strong opinion on him either way, whether he's any good at his job, I couldn't honestly tell you, but he seems to have just been haunted forever by this outstanding candidate remark that he yeah. made regards, obviously, Owen Coyle. Yeah. Um, but it's my understanding that he just sort of, you know, he, he did the interview process during the summer, went on a swift holiday, came back and found out Venkis at a point or were lining up to a point coil and he's just basically had to do his job and okay. you know and, and back the guy. He's obviously come out with some incredibly strange comment, but you know, he, he he doesn't get to speak freely about that if his employers say, you know, you're gonna have to get behind this and you know and and, and make some comments uh, to, to back what we're telling you to back, then you have to do it. And it's it's not the only comment that's going to haunt him, though, is it? Because, I mean, recently, um, wasn't there something about the fact that he said, um, well, I only, I'll only have to speak to them twice a year or, or words to that effect? That was um, what we wrote about going to the consultation forum meetings, yeah. Um, I know, we, we, well, the podcast special that we did with Alan Myers, that was, that was a, an unattributed quote of Alan Myers. And everybody is putting two and two together and saying that that's Mike Cheston. Um, mm. well, we, do, we don't uh, know, but obviously there is intense speculation. Yeah. But I don't think I think we have to use the allegedly because I don't of think course. anybody knows for certain. Of course, but I mean, fans, you know, we oh, that's all we have to go on alleged. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, unfortunately, um, you know, it's only going to lead to frustration and anger and the the only people that they can that we can vent that to are the people that turn up to these meetings aka mike cheston and we're not going to vent it was so much to you know tony mulbray or, or no, anybody and I think else that's, that's the difference gonna... since the keen era keen took the venky shilling keen was the man who, who stood up there and and just spouted whatever venky's told him mowbray i think is 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 much more of a football man and much less of a politician in that respect you know, ignoring his tactics and his, his selection, all the rest of it, he he does seem like a very genuine football guy, and he does seem mm. to genuinely have the club's best interests at heart. And I think he can understands we, the issues. Can we not say? Oh, sorry. I think he understands the issues, but I don't. Um, oh. he, he's not going to attract the vitriol that Keane did. So I think it's almost like, well, who should? So Hale Pasha, yeah. then he clearly is Venky's representative in the UK. Um, but we never see or hear a hide and hair of him. Cheston, therefore, is the flesh and blood embodiment of, uh, of Venkis, so he seems to attract the ire. Uh, whether he's any good as an FD, who knows, but um, that coming out with the outstanding candidate comment, I think, tarred him. Yeah, I think the situation's moved on as well. It's, it's not the case that we've got these um, asset-stripping foreigners who are destroying our club to its very core because they don't understand it. I think I think we know all that now. I think we've been through it all. Yeah. We're in a, we're in new territory. We're in the third division for a start. And yes, they might Well, have that's been. that's why there's there's nothing else to strip, is there? I mean, no. uh, apart from Ewood Park. <laughs> Let, let's be let's be absolutely clear here. I've got a little bit of finance training. Uh, I understand balance sheets a little bit. I'm not an accountant. Venkis have not asset-stripped Rovers. No, you, you exactly. cannot be accused of asset-stripping if you 
uh, if the company owes you 180 million or whatever the number is, uh, they mm-hmm. they have clearly uh, what liquidated assets. That's probably the way in terms of the playing staff. So they've moved players on. That's not asset stripping. Asset no. stripping is coming in and selling all the assets, just leaving corporate shell, and they haven't yeah. done yet. That's not to say that no. they won't do it at some point in the future, but even then, they still won't be net up. They still will have lost no. more than, yeah. than, I think than they gained. I, was, I, yeah, I, saw, I saw a smashing comment online the other day saying, uh, on one of the forums, I think it might have been one of the Facebook groups, saying, you know, I don't understand why they don't just cash out, take the money that they've made from us and leave. It was like, Christ, of all the things you could accuse them of, it's yeah. not yeah. making a net profit on yeah. Blackburn Rovers, yeah. that's for sure. Exactly. Yeah, the only reason we are still trading is because they're putting money in. Why are they having to put money in every month to keep us trading? Well, you could argue because of their incompetence. And it's almost like, well, that's a tax on your stupidity. And I kind of go with that argument. But they are, they're definitely not asset stripping in the yeah. true financial sense of asset stripping anyhow so so therefore why is why does it keep coming up about what's this guy pasha doing at rovers it's not important anymore yeah Mm -hmm. but it is it is it is in the sense that i mean clearly venkis do not trust anybody in the footballing world this side of the planet and this this is where all our problems lie and this mm. is why they have the, you know, Suhail Pasha. This is why they put Chevy Singh in, uh, you know, shortly uh, um, after we got rele- uh, before we got relegated. And it's because that they, they, you know, they they tagged pr- well, whether you know quickly or not, I don't know. But they tagged on pretty early that there's some absolute, you know, <laughs> crooks in football yeah. who yeah. are gonna who are gonna profit out of a club. For, not for the benefit of that club, but for the benefit of themselves. Yeah. And therefore, I, I understand that they don't trust anybody, but they've got to open up at some point because we're going nowhere until they do. Yeah. We're always going to have this shadow, Suhail Pasha or whoever. And, you know, what What do they know about football? Nothing. Do they um, have to open so, up, Phil? Yeah, we do. Does, does Roman Abramovich Just, hold press we, conferences? No, what, what has to happen is Venkis have to... They they originally trusted the um, uh, Kentaro, Kentaro, uh, Jerome Anderson, etc., etc. And legal tightrope, legal tightrope. Yeah, okay. They, <laughs> you know, they they feel like you know they've got stung, and it's uh, and you know they they're going to have to start trusting somebody to run things properly at Rovers. And that until they do that, we're always going to be in this situation having the same conversations over and over and over and over. And I can't see at any point that they're actually going to put this structure in place and assign a given budget to the club and say, right, here's your budget of however many million. Get on with it. I trust you to do your job. You're clearly qualified. They're not. They're, they're just not going to do that. And I think because they're a, a family business, I mean, I suppose you could say what business isn't a family business, but because they're such a close-knit family business by all accounts, they're just, I, I just can't see a, a time where they're going to do that. And mm. it's just going to continue to damage us, I'm afraid. So. Yeah, I think, I think this yeah. is worthy of a podcast in its own right, so I'm going to time mm. it. Yeah. Uh, but it is a, it is a, a, it's a $64,000 yeah. question, isn't it, as to how this is going to unfold. All I would say is, do Venkis need to communicate? Do they need to open up with us? I think I get a sense that we want that communication because we want to feel reassured that they are serious and they're going to do something about it. The reality of it is, if we win promotion this season, 
and we're reasonably well placed next season in the championship. I don't, I'm not bothered about hearing from the owners. I, I, Chelsea yeah. fans, I don't I, think they give a tinker I don't, I don't, about hearing I don't, from Abramovich. I don't want them to communicate with us at all. I just want them to mm. put in a structure yeah. and, and yeah. leave people, qualified Action people, to do their job. Yeah. Yeah. Do, I don't do want any... them to talk to us. The last time they talked to us and every season when they talked to us at the end of the season saying we're continually committed to the club. It's just noise and fluff. You know, it doesn't mean anything. Well, that's a what boilerplate make... press statement, isn't it? What, <laughs> yeah. You just like, bring it out every year, blow the dust off it and read it out. Mm. It, so. it is, but you can see this sort of attempt to connect with the fans and yeah. it just doesn't work everybody looks at it and we just laugh at well it's not a laughing matter really but you know we look at it with a bit of contempt and right i'm surprised but... if it's drafted by an intern i must admit because it is yeah. Mm. yeah the only the only thing i would say though is uh you know like with regards to looking at this summer as like a bit of a admittedly quite a small sample something somewhere seems to have happened where the decision making process seems to have speeded up i'm not sure if that can be attributed to pasha or to to mowbray but some something's happened where you know, especially with regards to the transfers, they seem to take forever to complete. Something somewhere seems to have speeded it up and made it a more streamlined process. I don't know what it is or whether it's just a massive fluke or something. Yeah. But something's happened somewhere and hopefully that, you know, it's a bit of a straw to grab to, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. I think the, an end-of-season end pod well. special on this, I think it could very well be worth it where we can devote some proper time to it. So. When we've come second. Well, well let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Okay, thanks for that, chaps. Um, just looking at the um, the forum, uh, there is a thread on there which is is interesting. Just to get your your views quickly, uh, everyone. Would you stick with Mo with Mowbray or Twist? And at the moment, it's saying that only forty three percent of respondents would stick, and therefore fifty seven percent would twist and get rid of him. Um, I'd stick because um, I wouldn't trust Venkis to appoint anybody better, Michael. Yeah. I'd definitely, definitely stick. Mike? Yeah, stick is the best thing that's happened to us in a long while, which I know is not exactly, it's quite a low base to come in from, but, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, an, he's, he's about as good as we're going to get, I imagine, given the panel in place to appoint his replacement, put it that way. Yeah. Phil? Yeah, it's a, it's a depressing poll, really. Um, and I'm afraid that after sitting down and thinking about it yesterday, I, I came to the conclusion to stick um it's not a definite stick but unfortunately it's as you guys have already pretty much said um do we really trust them to bring in somebody there's a five percent chance they might strike gold with somebody but until that percentage increases yeah. then i'm afraid to say stick i think what's depressing is when you look at um who's being touted for the everton job and west ham job uh, yeah. And I'm sort of thinking, well, if it's bloody Allardyce and Moyes, I mean, I, I should add as well. I mean, the season's certainly not over at all. You no. know, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, hitting the panic button or anything no, like that. Um, not at but all. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a situation where I, th I think he he can turn it round, <laughs> but I think that's the only hope we've got this season. Yeah, I think we're playoffs rather than automatic promotion. I think that's what's emerged so far. But frankly, if we got in the playoffs, I think that would be. Um, quite an achievement given the number of new players he's had to bring in and, and accommodate. Right. As as, uh, as Bellagi would say, you never know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs>
One other item of news that's probably worth sharing, uh, people who follow the um, Rovers Former Players Association on Twitter might have seen that the uh, there is a full Members' Cup 30th anniversary reunion on the 17th of November and tickets are now available. So if you follow them on Twitter, there is a link through to their website if anybody's interested in that. So lastly then, let's just have a look at what uh, what games we've got lined up for the rest of this month and what we have to look forward to. There's one tomorrow night, of course, at Rochdale in the... Uh, now, absolutely awesome Checker Trade Trophy, which of course I predicted that we get to the final of pre-season, so um, I think my prediction is hanging by a knife edge tomorrow. Anybody going? Is that a no? I, 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 refuse, to, I, re, I no. refuse to even speak about it. Splendid, okay. Oh. Phil, go on, sorry. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> no. You're not flying know, over, especially? <laughs> no, no I'll, I'll give this one a miss, I think. Okay. So uh, a cricket-playing colleague of mine who's a big Walsall fan was looking forward to entertaining me on the 11th of November. That's not going to happen because of the World Cup playoffs, which means that our next big league away game is at Bury, and I believe that we've been allocated both stands behind the goals. And I secured my ticket this morning, so I'm really looking forward to that. I don't think I've been to Gig Lane since that night. Back in Ian, something happened. Something happened with the Berry tickets. They had to be sent by recorded delivery, which meant you had to fork out an extra couple of quid. Well, this is interesting because I had a, I booked them online this morning at about half nine. Uh-huh. Then I had a phone call at about quarter to ten, saying that if they're lost in transit, Berry will not send out replacements. You'll have to buy yeah. new tickets. So what you can do is collect them on the day at Berry. So I, being yeah. a thrifty man who's living in Yorkshire for far, clearly far too long, said. I'll collect them at Berry on the day then. So the, you can yeah. imagine now there'll be an enormous queue stretching out yeah. in the ticket office on the day. So yeah, both stands behind the goals apparently. Um, yeah. Oxford United away, and then we've got the Rovers derby with Bristol, and then the uh, Rubbish Owners derby with Blackpool is how the month ends. So notwithstanding that um, we've lost the Walsall game, there's still some some interesting matches there. I think the, the Berry and Blackpool ones in particular step out uh, to me. Anybody yeah. going to uh, anybody planning to go to Blackpool or Oxford? I'm uh, my brother-in-law is part of the not a penny more ah. cr- crowd at Blackpool who've stopped going. He goes watching Lancaster City now, his hometown club. Okay. And most Blackpool fans have stopped going and until the Oysters go they won't come back. And you know, I feel sort of duty bound in solidarity with them not to go. Yeah, I'm, I don't is uh, Sean Sean Devine still playing at Lancaster City, or, or has his time <laughs> been and gone? <laughs> I think that's been and gone. Is that Peter Devine? Peter Devine. Oh, was it Peter? I can't remember. The, 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 class, oh, the penalty. penalty miss. Yeah, yeah. is that the one? Yeah. That the one they fluffed the penalty? Yeah, isn't it? on the yeah. Danny Baker's uh, own goals and gas video. I think every yeah. season that one wasn't it. That was an absolute an absolute classic. I think okay. he's probably older than me. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I think that takes us through uh, what we've got lined up for November then. So, any other business chaps, Michael? Anything else you want to raise? Or... No, you said if we can bring up any other things. If you want to talk about economic development in Lancashire, historically, I can do that. Okay, if you want to just hold on no, the line just, then, we'll no, come back to then. you in about an hour, if that's okay. Yeah, my, my line's gone faulty, Michael. <laughs> yeah, all right. Mike, have you anything you want to add? In no, not at all. Just well, just basic stuff. Keep the faith. You know, we're nearer the top than we are the bottom. So let's keep this party rolling, and hopefully things will take an upswing. Are we going to finish third now, or are you still holding out for second? I, I was going to maybe go at first, but second. I'll hold on second until hold next time. Second. Good man. Phil, then the view from uh, well, not so sunny Croatia tonight. Then, from your perspective, everything um, good. 
I, I put us down as 12th at the beginning of the season. <laughs> even, so even I'm going to increase that prediction, possibly. We've got someone <laughs> on the um, top who's even more 10. pessimistic I'll than me. I'll go 10. Tremendous. Well, that's all for this episode. As always, thank you all for giving it your time to listen to us. It's hugely appreciated. Feedback, as always, is welcomed on the BRFCS forum. Uh, my sincere thanks to our panellists for giving up their time once again to contribute to this episode, and especially to our guest Phil for giving us some insight into life in Croatia and the joys of overseas fandom. We are on the iTunes platform, as you probably know, so that can make subscription a whole lot easier. If you're feeling especially kind, please leave us a review. It does help in our listings, but also gives us a nice warm glow inside when some people say some nice things. So that's all for this episode. Thank you and goodbye from the BRFCS Pod Club.